0: We have spent the last handful of weeks becoming acquainted with Abram. Just for uh, some helpful perspective, uh, most Christians and Jews are in agreement that Abram was born uh, somewhere around 2000 B.C. Personally, I think, and, and there's a lot of evidence to support, I think that it was probably around 2150 B.C. I want you to have that perspective because it helps us understand not only what we're reading, but also our own period of time. So so let's just say that my preferred date of 2150 B.C. is accurate for Abram's birth. That means that the child born today would be born closer to Jesus' birth than Abram was. That's significant. A lot of people tend to view the events of B.C. Israel Is happening pretty quickly. And now we're in this church age and it seems like it's taking an eternity. So this gives us a little bit of perspective. It helps us understand the timeline. One more angle that I want to share to help further our perspective, more closely related to the life of Abram, is this. So, So last week our text left off in Genesis chapter 16 with the information that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Now this week, the very next verse, our text begins by telling us that Abram is now 99 years old. So we took a 13-year jump from last week to this week. Uh, this is important because when we talk about the covenant of God that, that God made with Abram, these promises that God made, and Abram's struggle to believe these promises, a lot of times we sometimes read it as if it's one day to the next. We have a 13 year gap from where we left off last week with the birth of Ishmael to our text for today. And I share this in part because it's not like Abram just went through a rough patch. It's not like he had a month or two where he was not quite himself and struggling to believe and to trust the promises of God. No, this was, this was stretched out over, over decades, not months. So Ishmael is now a teenager. We can presume that that Abram's family drama has likely continued. It's unmentioned in the text, but I would imagine that there was significant drama from where our text left off last week with Ishmael's birth until now, when Ishmael is a teenager. And in verse 1 of our text, God appears to Abram, and Abram falls face down before him. We'll see in this encounter with God, That God gives a number of things, a number of gifts, we might say, to Abram and Sarai. So listen as I read our passage to what it is that God gives, that God provides. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. This is God's word to us. When Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you your descendants after you and I will be their God then God said to Abraham as for you you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come this is my covenant with you and with your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep every male among you shall be circumcised you are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man? A hundred years old will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90 and Abram said to God if only Ishmael might live under your blessing Then God said yes but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him and as for Ishmael I have heard you I will surely bless him I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. God, we give you thanks for your word. We ask that you would give us understanding and, maybe more importantly, that you would give us faith to believe. May you be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you noticed uh, while I was reading that text or if it stuck out in your mind, that God gives a number of things in our text today, and I'm going to share a few of them with you. First, we see that God gives A reminder of his covenant promises God gives a reminder of his covenant promises we actually see this in two places in our text let's look at first at verse 4 and following Uh, it says this as for me this is my covenant with you so what does God say his covenant with Abram is Uh, verse 4 you will be the father of many nations verse 6 he says I'll make you very fruitful Nations and kings will come from you. Verse 7, God promises that he would be the God of Abram's descendants for generations to come. Verse 8, God promises that he will deliver to them, give to them the land of Canaan. From Genesis 12 until now, we have seen various sort of restatements, reminders of God's covenant with Abram. Remember that a covenant is it's a statement of agreement or a promise that defines the relationship between two parties. Because of the, the progression of details about God's covenant with Abram, some have, have viewed these as different covenants. But, but I think scripture shows us pretty clearly that we should view God's covenant with Abraham not as a series of individual covenants, but as one covenant to which God continually progressively reminds Abraham calls him back to and adds some additional detail God reminds Abram that he has promised to make him into a great nation he reminds him that God would give him and his descendants this land and we see some additional details in verse 7 it's not necessarily new but it, but new emphasis maybe He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. God makes these promises intensely personal. Not only for Abram, but for all of his descendants. God says, I will be their God. This reminder of God's covenant promises intensifies in verse 19. Verse 19 says, "Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him." Now, now we get into something here that's new and specific. Not only will Sarah give birth to a son, but God gives Abraham the name that he is to call his son the name Isaac why the name Isaac I think our answer is found a couple of verses earlier in verse 16 of our text God reminds Abraham of the promise that Sarah would give birth to a son and what is Abraham's response he falls to the ground in laughter he says will a son really be born to a hundred-year-old man And God says yes, as a matter of fact, and you will give him the name Isaac. And what does the name Isaac mean? It means laughter. Isaac is the son of laughter. This is a glimpse at the grace of God. Abraham laughs at God's promise to him. And rather than being angry, rather than smiting him rather than lecturing him god just says that when this son is born you're going to name him laughter he will forever remind you of the time that you laughed at my promise and one more glimpse of the grace of god in verse 20 god says I- i've heard your prayers about your son ishmael and i will surely bless him i will make him fruitful 12 rulers will come from him. This always poses an interesting sort of related question to this, and somebody asked me this on the way out last Sunday, and and the question is, does the nation of Islam, do Muslims descend from the line of Ishmael? It's a common understanding, and the question is not the easiest of questions. It seems that, and we'll see as we move forward in Genesis, that the 12 tribes of Ishmael would settle in the approximate area of those Arab tribes from which Muhammad, the founder of of Islam, would descend. The Quran, the Islamic holy teachings, the Quran teaches that they are the true descendants of Abraham. The Quran teaches that Abraham was an obedient prophet of the Lord. In fact, many Muslims believe that it was actually Ishmael who climbed Mount Moriah with Abraham, rather than his half-brother Isaac. We'll hear that story in a couple of weeks. But the reality is there's almost no evidence for most of the claims that Muhammad makes that he descended from Ishmael. From a purely historical perspective, the evidence uh, falls much more in line with the Hebrew tradition. Many people believe that there's actually no relation or connection between Muhammad's Arab ancestry and Abram's family. God gives Abram a reminder multiple reminders actually in our text for today of his covenant promises what else does god give in this text second god gives new names to abram and sarai verse 5 says no longer will you be called abram your name will be abraham for i have made you a father of many nations now we get to this distinction that i've made several times the last number of weeks between the name Abram and the name Abraham. It might not seem like a significant change, but God does something fascinating in this name change. I'm excited because if you've been following along, you know that I keep conflating Abram and Abraham. It's hard to keep straight, so from now on it's just Abraham. But what do these two names mean? Quite simply, Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of multitudes think about that difference exalted father respected as opposed to abraham which means father of many father of multitudes in verse 15 god also changes sarah's name to sarah he reiterates his promise to bless her to give her a son and says that she'll be the mother of nations and kings but of course The question is, why does God change their names? And the the short answer is pretty simple. God gave Abraham a reminder of his promises and grace and goodness that he would remember every time he heard his new name. And this isn't the only time that God does this. Jacob became Israel after wrestling with God. Simon became Peter, which means rock. God is marking a a new time, a new season, a new era in the life of these people with their new names. This was actually a fairly common practice even after the death of the apostles into the early church where people would, sometimes upon their baptism, they would be given a Christian name, a very common practice throughout the history of the church. Uh, Also, uh, sometimes uh, upon people's conversion, They would be given a new new name, dating back to really the the first generation after the apostles died. We have record of, of this happening, of this tradition continuing. Abraham and Sarah were changed. Their lives were defined by this covenant relationship with God. Their very identity changed. The third thing that we see God giving in our text is perhaps the most complicated one uh, and that's that god gives signs of his covenant verse 4 god says as for me and he lays out his covenant promises but when we arrive at verse 9 god says as for you you must keep my covenant you must keep the terms of this relationship of this agreement for you and your descendants and for generations to come and God says verse 10 this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you the covenant you are to keep every male among you shall be circumcised you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And this is the point in the sermon where you give thanks to God that I'm not a pastor who uses object lessons frequently. We all squirm a little bit when we hear a passage like this. At least the men here squirm a little bit and i apologize in advance for any awkward conversations that you might have on the car ride home today i'm just preaching the word god gives abram or abraham a clear sign of his covenant and rightly so many might ask why this sign so let's talk for a moment about what we mean by the word sign first uh, think about the purpose of a sign along the highway Uh, You don't go to the sign itself to find what you're looking for, right? If you're driving down the interstate and you see a billboard for a restaurant, you don't park on the shoulder and climb the fence and walk up to the billboard expecting to find the restaurant. You know that that sign exists as a reminder and to point you to the object that you're seeking. This isn't the first time that we've seen this in Genesis. Remember after the flood, God gives a sign. He gives This sign of the rainbow pointing people to his promise, to what he had declared, that he would never flood the earth in that way again. But this sign of circumcision is certainly, we might say, on a whole new level. This is a sign that was carved into the body of every male. Several aspects of this covenant of circumcision that are worth making note of. The first one is that it's a permanent sign. It involves the cutting off of foreskin that cannot be reattached. It forever changes the anatomy of those who receive the sign. And so it points us to the everlasting, the permanent nature of God's covenant. Other important aspects. Circumcision is a sign that directly involves offspring. We've talked all through Genesis, been so many mentions of Of seed or offspring and so the sign of God's covenant directly involves offspring it's placed on the male reproductive organ that is such a central part of God's promise to make a great nation that Abrams offspring would be as numerous as the stars another aspect of circumcision is the idea of cutting off this is a play on words that God actually uses in our text for today. It says any uncircumcised male will be, and he uses this word, cut off. It's sort of a, it's a play on words of, of what takes place in circumcision. Paul uses a similar play on words in Galatians when he speaks to the heresy in the, the church in Galatia where they were teaching that, that we were saved through circumcision. Uh, and Paul said, if, if, if circumcision saves you, why not cut off the whole thing? Paul picks up that same play on words, same imagery. Uh, and Some of you are really uncomfortable right now, and that's okay. Fourth thing, fourth aspect of this covenant sign that we see is that Scripture in both the Old and New Testaments speak of outward circumcision pointing to God's work on the inside. And I could list, there's probably at least a half dozen references. I'll give, if you're taking notes, I'll give you two that you can write down. Leviticus 26 verse 41, Leviticus 26 41, and Deuteronomy 10 16. And then Paul also speaks of this in Romans, a couple places in Romans, this sense of circumcision being tied to the purification rituals of the law, being tied to inward heart change. It's a powerful aspect of this sign of the covenant. Fifth, we also see that there's an element of the shedding of blood involved in this covenant sign. That's an important aspect of this. It's one of many times that Scripture speaks of shedding of blood in regard to the promise of the covenant. And of course, it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, uh, one final aspect of this sign of the covenant that's worth noting is that circumcision was something that set the people apart. These were God's covenant people, marked, set apart for him. The idea of covenant signs will show up, again, throughout the scriptures. For example, we could look forward to the, to the Passover, when God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt. What was the sign? Exodus 12, verse 13 says this, that the blood on the doorpost of the house was, quote, a sign. A sign that brought salvation to that household. And this helps us with with one of the aspects of the covenant that many struggle with, many have questions about, the, the fact that it was for males only. Why did God decide on a covenant sign that was only to be received by males? And the short answer is, I have no idea. I don't know the mind of God. I don't pretend to. Uh, But we do know that uh, that God has done this throughout history. Throughout the, the history of his relationship with his people. He's done things like this. For example, not everyone in that household in Egypt would have spread the blood on the doorposts of the house. But the whole house was saved by the faith of that family leader who did. A man would make sacrifices at the temple on behalf of his family, for the remission of their sins. And so there is no sense of bigotry involved here. This is simply the way that God had structured things. God made covenant promises to his people. And the requirement of the covenant was that everyone to whom it applied must receive the sign of that covenant. All males must receive the sign, and if they didn't, The penalty was pretty severe. They were cut off. They were excommunicated. If we read the law of Moses, we see that this is not something that's taken lightly. This person is as good as dead to their family, to the community. And we see the significance of this sign of the covenant in verse 23. It says, on that very day, Moses is emphasizing something here for us. On that very day, Abram took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household, and all those that he had bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. This was a rough day in Canaan. Any time in Abram's life, it might have been justifiable for him to doubt God. This might have been the moment. But in, in the comedy that is Abraham's relationship with the Lord, suddenly he is instantly obedient on that very day our text says abraham obeyed the lord and the sign of god's promises and covenant and grace was written upon their bodies But what happens moving forward what do we do from here and god in his grace made provision for this it says from now on when a male child was eight days old the promise of God's goodness, the promise of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, would be applied to them as well. But we can never lose sight of, of the true meaning of this covenant sign, and that's the object to whom it was pointing the one whose blood would be shed, the one who would truly be cut off for the salvation of not just Israel, but all people. And Paul. Draws this connection for us in Colossians chapter 2. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Colossians 2 says this. Paul connects these things for us. It says, in him also, speaking in, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In Christ, all that had been promised to Abraham and his offspring came to be. It found its fulfillment. He says, in Christ, your body of flesh, your sinful nature was cut off when he received the circumcision of Christ. And then he goes on to describe what he's talking about in verse 11, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. This is a beautiful passage. We are part of a new and better covenant. Our sinful nature is cut off and buried with Christ In our baptism, think about that old covenant sign. That's as far as it could go. The cutting off was as far as that covenant sign could go. Cutting off the old. But in baptism, in this new covenant sign, there's more. Having been buried with him in baptism, and listen to what Paul says, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Paul says that baptism is a new and better circumcision. Circumcision could only serve as a symbol of the removal of the flesh, but in baptism you are buried and raised again to live in the promises of God, to live in the covenant promise of God to us. And and of course, In this new and better sacred act, God welcomes girls and boys, women and men, to find their identity and their life in him. In your baptism, God cut off, God put to death your sinful nature and you were resurrected in faith to a new life in Christ. It's not merely a symbol it's the new and better sign by which we are buried and made alive in christ in baptism god offers the benefits of christ's redemption to all people men and women and graciously bestows the washing of regeneration the newness of life to all who believe and just like abraham and just like all of israel god calls us to live in daily repentance and personal faith in what Christ accomplished for us and in us. God's covenant with Abraham points us forward. It serves as a sign of what we receive freely from Christ. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your word grateful for all that you've given us. We're grateful for how this sign of the covenant that you gave to Abraham and to his descendants points us to something that's far greater. God, we thank you for all that Christ accomplished for us. Forgiveness, redemption, the promise and guarantee of eternal life for all who believe. We thank you that in this new sign of the covenant that you've given to us, that when we are buried with you in baptism, that it's not just the removal of the old, but that in baptism we are raised to walk in the newness of life. That you give us the promise of new and eternal life in Jesus Christ. God, give us faith to believe today. Thank you for all that you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.